Welcome to our podcast from the Arc Insider. I'm Karen Allen and my co-presenter is Tara O'Connor, the Managing Director of Arc, the Pan-African Risk Consultancy firm, Africa Risk Consulting. The Arc Insider aims to offer some informal but well-informed Africa-focused conversation to stimulate ideas among those who live, work and breathe African affairs. We'll touch on some of the events that have been in the news, as well as ongoing topics of interest. First, though, Tara, welcome. Good to talk to you. It's been a while. It has indeed been a while, Karen, and it's very good indeed to connect after quite a break from our podcast. Yeah, lovely to hear your voice, Tara. We meet at a time when the world's attention, of course, is focused on the events thousands of miles away from the African continent. Of course, I'm talking about the invasion of Ukraine by Russian forces and urgent diplomatic attempts to try and de-escalate that conflict, with South Africa, a fellow BRICS country, among those offering to mediate as we record this podcast. Yes, and although, as you say, it might feel like thousands of miles away, in our globalised world, the potential implication for geopolitics, for security and for economies across the African continent are numerous. They are indeed. Well, we'll give some personal reflections on what feels like a revival of Cold War politics. You and I, Tara, old enough to remember that time. And to talk about what the conflict means for Africa as a continent, as well as how voices from the continent are being heard in forums such as the UN Security Council. Yes, although it's very serious, it's all very fascinating stuff, Karen. But in the second part of this podcast, changing tack and to something a little bit more positive, we'll focus on investments in tech and hear from our guest, a man who is leading the charge to make Cape Town a regional tech hub. Yeah, looking forward to that, Tara. So it's an extremely busy episode of The Ark Insider. But as always, before we dive in, let's take a brief look at some of the stories that have made it into the news since our last podcast. France has announced it will withdraw its troops from Mali, ending a nine-year mission against Islamist militants. Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed described the start of power generation at the controversial Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam on Sunday as a milestone. Burkina Faso, Lieutenant Colonel Paul Henri Sandogo Damiba has been inaugurated as president just over three weeks after he led a coup to topple elected head of state Rock Mac Christian Kabori. In the meantime, though, let's bring you one other news story that as thousands of people remain displaced by three huge storms which have hit Madagascar in the last month, the fourth tropical storm has begun to strike. This is a cyclone Emnati making landfall on southern Madagascar just a week after a tropical storm which came soon after another cyclone which affected some 270,000 people, claiming 120 lives. The South African draft makes no mention of Russia, but calls for an immediate cessation of hostilities by all parties and encourages political dialogue, negotiations and mediation. So Tara, I don't know how you feel, but really never has it felt for me more like history is repeating itself than now watching those scenes coming out of Ukraine. My family hailed from Eastern Europe. They were refugees many decades ago. So what we're witnessing on our television screens today is really, for me, very evocative and has very strong echoes of the stories I heard as a child from parents and grandparents. Now, that's not to undermine the terrible humanitarian crises we report on 
daily from here in uh, Africa and which unfairly don't come on the headlines in the same way. But I do think it's that sense that superpowers are flexing their muscles once again, driven by territorial ambition, which is making what's happening on Ukraine's eastern flank so arresting. And of course, it does affect Africa. Yes, I mean, exactly. I grew up in Zambia, which was very much a Soviet bloc country at the time. And it's rather daunting to see Cold War style politics coming back into play. Some have even described this as a kind of a 9-11 moment with the, you know, the scale of the implications for global stability. And it has huge relevance for Africa, as you say. Firstly, it's the changing landscape of geopolitics and forcing states to choose. African governments will have to choose once again between autocracy and democracy. And critical in this is is China. China is Africa's main trading partner and lender, and it's supporting Russia's line on all matters and in all state media broadcasts. And you remember that China's domestic media firewall is so powerful that some 1.4 billion of its people are getting the message that it's US and NATO and not Russia who are the aggressors. And if China goes beyond that, calling for a negoti- beyond calling for a negotiated settlement and begins to support Russia with weapons and cash, we are heading for a very dangerous world and once more a bipolar world with all that that reference uh, uh, means and a replay, as you say, of the Cold War. And we saw those geopolitical and ideological divisions played out during that UN Security Council resolution, didn't we, Tara? There is absolutely no common position among Africa's 50-plus states on what is happening further east. All have got their own histories, their own bilateral interests at heart. And I think it was interesting if you think of a comparison between South Africa, which is a member of the BRICS grouping, whose abstention in that UN Security Council vote drew considerable criticism And a country like Kenya, who, rather surprisingly, their ambassador to the UN, Martin Kamani, a man who, incidentally, I had quite a few dealings with in his previous government counter-terrorism role, he's being hailed as a great statesman for making a very powerful speech appealing to multilateralism. Yeah, I mean, that was quite a speech, and it did put into context uh, Russia's invasion as a kind of a neo-colonialist and neo-imperialist venture of expansionism. And we've seen Mm. Russia's expansionism over the last five or six years, and we've commented on it in previous podcasts. Right across Africa, what we have actually seen is Russia's uh, renewed influence from Uh, from Sudan in the east, right through in an arc through Libya, across from Libya to West Africa, to some five uh, critical West African states, a number of which have actually had military coups in in recent years. Um, And, you know, we see Russia's hand in all of this. I mean, take Mali as just one example. Mali was one of the old USSR's most staunch allies, Um, until the late dictator Musa Traore was hounded out of office by pro-democracy protests in the early 1990s. And now Mali's junta is relying on Kremlin-backed private military company to offer protection. Yeah, that's the Wagner Group, right? That's the Wagner Group. That's exactly Mm. right. But what's interesting about this is that Actually, the protection may be short-lived because 
Putin is actually calling back all of his mercenaries from West Africa to go and help the fight in Ukraine. And that could leave um, very vulnerable states um, that that no longer have French uh, French military support, very vulnerable to Islamist exploitation and further destabilization. And you've hit the nail on the head when you talk about short-term protection. But it's also interesting that you mentioned Mali, Tara, because Russian tactics, in particular in the field of information operations and disinformation campaigns, have played an important part in extending that sphere of influence Russia has over Mali's internal politics and the coup and the coups that you just mentioned, just at the time when the French forces um, that have been there for some time are pulling out. Now, it's the same tactics that Russia's now being accused of using uh, in Ukraine. He's using so-called false flag events against Ukraine in order to provoke or justify a military escalation. So that's a very interesting tactic that really mirrors what we're seeing here on the African continent. Yes, Karen. And the third impact of the Ukraine, Russia-Ukraine conflict um, is really in the economic sphere. Ukraine is Egypt's main supplier of wheat and bread is a staple in the country of 100 million people. Shortages or indeed the fear of shortages have increased the price of wheat. In turn, this is fueling inflation in several countries, in particular those that import wheat. I think many of us would be surprised that wheat supplies in this part of the world come from so far away. You know, COVID first showed us the very complex nature of the global supply chain. Um, But there are two major wheat importers in Africa – uh, and from 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 Ukraine and those that's Egypt and Nigeria, and it's the first area where poor people feel the effect of inflation. So that's the reason why we watch it closely. Now for a change of gear. After two years apart and pretty much studio-bound, Tara and I have been on location in Cape Town, meeting face-to-face as we prepare to chat with our guest for this episode about investments in Africa tech. Here's how the reunion went. And by the way, it was sparkling water, not wine in those glasses. Nobody's going to believe you. Cheers, Tara. Welcome to South Africa. Cheers, Karen. Great to be here. Now, as we're in the Western Cape, we might naturally have chosen to devote this podcast to talking about wine, wildlife, lifestyle or culture, or the many other features that lure people to the mother city. But instead, we have a guest with us to talk about Cape Town's tech ambitions and investment in tech in particular. So before we introduce our guest, take a listen to this. If you can work from anywhere, then why not work from anywhere? Think about it. Obvious. This internet. This is Cape Town, Africa's tech capital. Google it. What you heard there was a promo video from Westgro, the Western Cape's tourist trade and investment agency. It's part of an aggressive marketing campaign to position Cape Town as Africa's tech hub. So to talk about why Cape Town sees itself as well-placed to occupy a, pos- a position as a tech hub, we are joined today for this podcast by Keith Van Sale of Knife Capital. Welcome, Keith. Thank you so much. Yeah, interesting times. Um, Knife Capital is a venture capital company, but with a focus on tech, or is it fintech in particular? How do you position yourself? It's an interesting question. So the Africa 
worldwide fintech scene is is just exploding. I mean, there are many examples and recent examples of, of the first African unicorns. All of them come out of mainly Nigeria and um, East Africa into into unicorn status. So there's a lot happening on the fintech side. Us, we're more of a general VC fund. We do have fintech exposure, but also health tech. Um, we we big in machine learning, interesting exits we've already had in, in radar. So we see ourselves as innovation driven um, with proven traction. So innovation is basically, basically tech bias because of the scalability of, of those innovations. And um, yeah, a lot of lot of examples of that uh, in and around Cape Town. Around Cape Town, exactly. And I mean, can you describe some of the investments that you've actually already made? And I know that there are some exciting things that are just around the corner that we can't necessarily talk about. But yeah, so I think the the, the venture capital is still a bit of an unproven asset class in South Africa, and Knife Capital's basically mission or reason for being is to give legitimacy to that asset class which means you know we, we look at it in a, in a find make grow realize cycle so finding good investments but also finding uh, value-adding investors you know making that investment fair terms um, due diligences which are robust and really looking at, at partnering with the, with the entrepreneurs in a specific way which enables the growth phase um, and that is usually a four to five to six seven year journey before you get to the realized part and realize is really the exit you know how do you actually realize that strategy and give that money back to the back to the invest in, investors so our journey we really are proud of the fact that we've actually gone full circle on on many investments you know our one of our biggest success stories was a um, fintech called fundamo based in Cape Town, amazing team with, with the entrepreneurial team behind it, some fantastic co-investors, and that was a, was a quite a large exit to Visa, you know, so, so it's great for us to see, you know, international businesses having an interest in at even, you know, 10 years ago at our, at our, at our portfolio company. So we had companies um, that were more in the radar space, you know, Ikubu, we exited that to Garmin. They set up an innovation hub in um, Stellenbosch, just, just down here in our winelands for, because uh, that's where Ikubu is based, um, for, you know, where they like do R&D for, for their global Garmin group, you know. But our current portfolio is, is more focused on machine learning. Um, you know, we do have big foundries here in, in up, up the coast here in Atlantis, which make engine blocks and stuff for Daimler and for, for, for those type of big um, operators, uh, you know, in, in Europe. And yeah, our machine learning technology look at, at bringing the defects down to, to sort of zero defect and um, cutting costs and, and all that. So that that is a, a good place for startups to participate in the, the global economy. What is it about Cape Town that brings it all together, that makes this possible? So I think firstly, South Africa's disparate past um, and the inequalities is, is terrible for humanity. But when it comes to a hub where you can mix first world, I mean, just look at where we are sitting, looking over the bay at Robben Island um, and, um, and the winelands and so forth with third world and and while it is not necessarily ideal you can actually it's a perfect testing ground you know you can you can really develop technologies as we have that straight go into first world countries um, and and then you can also develop uh, solutions for African challenges 
creating the, the, the segue into the rest of Africa and then also into Middle East, Pakistan, India, Latin America. So that's the, that's the beauty of, the, of the, the sort of position that South Africa finds itself in. And you've got Can, the knowledge here. Is that, is that the issue here in Cape Town? Because you've got excellent universities in the world. Yeah, so when you bring that down to the, the Cape Town micro level, I think digital nomads or people with choices on where to start businesses, how to start businesses, especially now in the post-COVID world, can do it from anywhere. And if you are going to be in South Africa and do it from somewhere, generally you're going to be doing it from, from Cape Town. There are a lot of creative people here, but then also international um, angel investors that, that have houses in, in down the road in Camps Bay or Bantry Bay or, or, or Constantia or so forth that are constantly here. So we do have this influx of knowledge and influx of capital which have more of an appetite for risk and entrepreneurship. And if you put all of that in the pot, creativity, risk, entrepreneurship, third world, first world, VC money and, 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 and entrepreneurs, it is a um, smorgasbord for tech entrepreneurs to at least network and find capital. And it's exploding, as you were saying. It really is just taking off. As a, even in a post, and do you see in a post-COVID environment that this is Cape Town will again be a leader? And how will it compete with, Ni I mean, Nigeria is established, as so is Kenya. Uh, Kenya, you've got absolutely everything. You've got your legal, you've got your capital, you've got your, and you've got your tech guys all there. Um, where do where does Cape Town fit into that? Didn't they get there first? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think it's a competition. I think each ecosystem has its own unique, um, you know, competitive advantages. I think one of the one of the great things we have is as is is a very well established. I must say Johannesburg Stock Exchange, unfortunately, but a stock exchange, which basically gives us a very robust layer of corporates. Mm -hmm. So most of the South African successful startups are actually business to business startups, you know, or from the bat are designing their product for an international audience, audience simply because our target market of consumers whether it's now e-commerce or whether it's fintech or whatever, if you go B2C, business to, to consumer, it's basic or customer, it's, it's too small because we're too fragmented. If you, if you really look at, at our dem demographics, like who are you actually targeting? So, so I think from that perspective, um, Cape Town has, has that advantage to say, well, you know, on the one hand, it's the corporates are incentivized to do business with small business for, for various, you know, uh, points and, and so forth, procurement, etc., etc. So therefore, it is much easier in a way to get a, a proof of concept or a beta test or whatever into a corporate. And once a South African corporate has, has tried and tested it, you can kind of Sure, they'll go yeah, go go global yeah. via that, and which is exactly yeah. how that's the that's the secret sauce. You know, I mean, yeah. if you say what is Life Capital's recipe for success, as well, look at which are the big corporates with offices here. Make sure that they that they kind of try and test your business, use your networks to get in there. Once you have a beachhead market or, or case study, you can go go with. You can go to the European offices and to the UK offices and, and I mean to yeah. the US offices, and so you go. I mean, can I ask a question? And I, I don't want to be the person who kind of ruins the party, but, you know, we're sitting in South Africa where we've got massive unemployment. And one of the challenges, I, particularly for the tech industry, is it, it requires a very, very high level of knowledge, a very high level of skill, and it doesn't create a lot of jobs. 
what would you say to skeptics who say, in a way, it's looking after a very privileged group and it's not doing very much to try and help where the greatest need is? I'm not suggesting that you're an NGO and that your role is to do that, but how do you answer that? Because it is a legitimate concern, isn't it? Therein lies the opportunity. So it, in, in digital skills, it's the, it's the one area where we actually have a skill shortage. So, so where, where there's a, you know, if, if, we, if the people were there, they would employ them faster. The cost base is lower here. So the call, I mean, Amazon, as we speak just down the road, yeah, are building a massive center for, um, for AWS um, because the skills are here and trainable, you know. So yes, we, we are at the moment playing a bit of catch up, but there's a massive drive um, of, of, you know, some of the South Africa's biggest corporates and also some of our, our tech entrepreneurs to really um, leapfrog that, that digital skill gap. It's going to play a bit of catch up for a few years, but it's the one place where jobs really can be created at scale, you know, whether it be, you know, it doesn't all have to build the next algorithm that's going to change the world. It's, it's just... Well, what sort of jobs? I mean, it would be useful, actually. What kind of jobs are we talking about that would be allied to the to the tech industry here? So it's it's related to, to basic coding, and whether it's not PHP or, or, or those type of things, but also call center jobs or anything that requires... Um, an element of interface with uh, with a screen, you know. So so there's there's very specialised jobs and middle and lower level tech jobs. One of the problems in South Africa is education, though, and we've got very very low standards of education in terms of people passing the matric, the the secondary exam here. I mean, how do you? kind of work with that and I say I know you're not an NGO um, but in terms of say for example some of the corporate social responsibility projects are there outreach programs other than teaching kids to code are there outreach pro projects that, that almost start at a more basic level in terms of trying to raise the standard of education across the board yes and no so not enough I mean I think I think that in a world where education has 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 really gone um, digital, I mean, you could you could you could upskill yourself with a, with a cell phone and a, a Wi-Fi signal to, to to a large degree. Some of our biggest success stories um, it, it was a, a local startup out of Cape Town called Get Smarter. They had a, also a hundred million dollar plus exit to to two U. Um, those founders also then actually last year launched a um, digital school you know with the University of Cape Town in partnership with 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 the, with the University of Cape Town so so there's a lot of initiatives that private sector is bringing to the party to upskill in 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 at at, at scale you know um, but yeah could government do more to facilitate that yeah I think if I if I was the Minister of Education I would have a few more aggressive ideas on how to uh, get South Africa educated but it feels like you're pushing at an open door to a certain extent because we have a president who is interested in tech he can see the economic potential you know Suram Puzzle talks about smart cities and, and massive investment in that regard so it does seem like it's the moment to do it but also is the um, the tech sector the way to get the private sector and the public sector to work more closely together because that is seen very much as the route that South Africa has to go because we don't have the tax base to be able to get the state to do everything. Look, the one right shot in the arm that COVID gave gave all of us is uh, advancing digital transformation. <clears throat> so throughout corporate South Africa as well as government, there has definitely been um, a move towards each other, and, and how do we how do we solve the skills gap specifically through technology? And 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 yeah, I mean we ourselves have had 
Zoom calls with the president as as a tech ecosystem um, and uh, around what could be done to facilitate the life of um, high growth startups. You know, I think the the penny has dropped that that is where the multiplier effect of job creation really comes in. You know, a, a, a high growth technology startup doesn't just employ sort of subsistence one or two people. I mean, when it starts working, it's hundreds and thousands of, of, of people at scale, you know, and, um, and, and it builds innovation, it builds job creation, and it broadens the tax base, which we so desperately need because private sector is the only way I mean, talking to the converted um, and entrepreneurship that we are going to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. And government has realized that. You were mentioning some changes in tax uh, tax conditions that are, well, some that have closed off, but some that are actually back on the table to actually help accelerate this uh, this growth further. Yeah, I think that's where a lot of these, the nucleus of a lot of these discussions are, um, you know, unlike many other countries, in the, South Africa is, is a little bit behind or a lot behind when it comes to tax incentives for, or incentivizing investors to take that extra risk into a, a, a early stage startup. So what, what we are we as a broader ecosystem are trying to do, and it's driven by, you know, SAFCA, by Simadisa, Silicon Cape, Digital Collective. I mean, there's there's a, there's a endeavor. There's a, there's a couple of there's a big and, movement. And they basically it. link investors with the startups. They link investors to the startups, but they want to do it around a common cause. And you know, we, at the moment, we're really looking at creating a startup act. Um, other countries have done it. Tunisia has done it. Many other countries in, in, to basically enact how to how to advance startups, and that could be skills, things like um, incentives for investment, you know, if you angel investors invest, what, what else can you, can you really incentivize them, them with to get them over the line? And a number of initiatives to, to, to really get funding to startups in a way that is enabling, like not reinventing the wheel, just like it, how, sh how it should be done. But um, there are sort of the dark side of some of these things where, they, where people are skeptical around uh, tax breaks and those type of things because they are loopholes. I lived in Kenya for a long time and you saw 10, 12 years ago, the development of things like tech hubs, which were very visible and they basically got younger people interested in tech and you started, they were incubator programs. We do have some similar things here, but they do seem quite rarefied and quite sort of elitist. And I'm just wondering, you know, what do you think we could do more of to try and lure, say for example, young black school leavers to consider going into the tech sector, you know, because we don't, we don't see advertising campaigns, we don't see um, role models standing up and saying, hey, instead of being a tenderpreneur, think about possibly setting up a tech startup. I mean, I'm being facetious, but what, what would you see as being a kind of corrective to that? So the, the problem that we have with is, is it starts with the word entrepreneurship, so, or entrepreneur. So, so entrepreneur in South Africa means different things to different people, and what we what we should do and haven't really done properly is stratify the difference between a subsistence entrepreneur, just a, a, a SME, a, a high growth startup that will be becoming gazelles and unicorns and all those wonderful animals and, um, and, and just innovations, professors at university. So, so it's like all of that gets thrown into this entrepreneurship pot, which then means, as per your comment, um, that the right mentorship and the right skills doesn't go to the right entrepreneur because and and therefore it creates this exclusionary gap to say well 
well, you know, I just that is a very much a, a highly skilled entrepreneur, highly highly skilled mentor. So, so I think a lot need, more needs to be done to bring that stratification of entrepreneurship in and create the right mentorship and the right right. But I must say, there's lots of positive. There's, there are many accelerators and, and incubators in in South Africa. There are um, many, uh, well, not not enough, but there are incubators and accelerators in townships. Um, there are centres where we give access to to you know skills and equipment and Wi-Fi and so forth. Bring it back to Cape Town. Ten years hence. Look, I would I would love for there to be more um, collaboration between the stakeholders. Um, maybe it's a, it's a bit of a pipe dream, but at the moment there is still an element of mistrust. I would love. Cape Town to to continue being the premier destination for, um, for as a tech hub, you know, as as you think about Nairobi, as you think about Lagos, you, you know, yes. Cape Town, and then a narrowing of this widened um, equity gap, you know, and and it, it, it's also idealistic in a way, but it's absolutely doable through through a generation or two with with technology skills and um, and and basically you could greater you could, ownership actual mm. equity in the startups and the venture capital side of things exactly. more and broadly we, exactly yeah. and we need much more much more capital to flush the ecosystem because i mean it is a bit of a function of scarcity um, you know us as vcs have to jealously guard every 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 rand and therefore are not as um, risk embracing as we could be if, yeah. if, they, if we knew the next fund would be easier to raise but I think that the, the, the secret really lies in, in angel investors and if you think about the whole South African specifically just, the, sorry remind people what angel investors are if they're not part of that world <laughs> angel investors are high, high net worth uh, private individual that um, can make a quick decision because it's his own money or her own money that doesn't have to necessarily go to an investment committee and you know Take a pitch on yes. over over a lunch and say, dear entrepreneur, I like your chutzpah, yes. and here is you know here's a check, yes. um, and he, these are the terms. So so I think that's that's if you think about the South African, specifically Cape Town ecosystem, it really has been built or tech ecosystem on the shoulders of of so-called angel investors. So you know we would be nowhere if it wasn't for the private individuals behind some of these corporates that have a positive disposition towards entrepreneurship so if we can enable and then we have in specifically Cape Town we have this influx of, of international investors um, that are high net worth individuals and whether they need a tax break or whether they just need something to do when they're in Cape Town for six months they do invest in the startups here and we need to make it a little bit more worth their while or we need to advertise that as, 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 a, as, a, as a benefit of some of the success stories that, that we have here and I think that will then feed itself, you know. What I, what I then lastly would love to see is, and it's starting to happen, is the entrepreneurs that are successful investing back into the next generation of entrepreneurs. Is know? that a call for Elon Musk to come back to his <laughs> native South Africa and uh, support Cape Town? I think he'd, he'd more probably go back to Pretoria, but uh, <laughs> exactly, but, um, he's a Bryanston boy, isn't he? <laughs> but um, but yes, and and we've seen it through through some of our in, in investments. I mean, we've got a number of our entrepreneurs that are now invested in us um, as a fund, you know, because they, you know, so that cycle is happening all alongside us, or men, we use them as mentors and, and and those type of things. So that's the beauty of a functioning ecosystem. So I would love that to be. 
to that that wheel to start turning Turn. faster and you see it across africa m many of the um, earliest states specifically in fintech startups are backed by the the, the 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 entrepreneurs that have gone before them and have made money and then backed so so it's actually come really starting to, to come together to nicely i would love yes. to see that happening at scale here and um and yeah but for the rest i would also like us to solve the energy um, load shedding problem because you know we don't always have electricity here these days and I, I know Cape Town is, is actively working on, on making this a load shedding free um, zone with uh, with different initiatives of private private sector coming involved and ba going back into the energy grid um, our, our universities um, need to continue to to innovate but we need to get better at spinning out this commercializing those technologies out of yeah. the University of Cape Town Stellenbosch Western Cape you know we've got we've got so we've got all of the, the makings of great universities angel investors great lifestyle good wine farms um, and um, and and a lot of similarities I guess to Silicon Silicon Valley or San Francisco we even have our own prison island you know so uh, so we just need to we need to just exactly we just need to foster all of that and um, and continue to continue to innovate. That's fantastic. Kate well, Fansell, thank you very much indeed. Very much. We'll see you in 10 years' time. You've been listening to The Ark Insider with me, Karen Allen and Tara O'Connor. Thank you for joining us. If you're interested, Tara's team at Ark produces monthly briefings from around Africa. You can sign up for these at info at africarisconsulting.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please do let us know. You can use the same address and do feel free to share it on social media and amongst friends. Bye for now.